If you would turn in your scriptures to the Gospel of Luke for our scripture reading, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Beginning at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, and he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now turn over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. I appeal... To you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text in Romans, we pray you would open it to us, give us understanding and the power of your Holy Spirit 
Continue your work in changing us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been in many cathedrals in life. Places that are deemed holy. Places that are deemed sacred. And so no loud voices. No noise. Quiet. Hushed. You take a knee, take a pew, light a candle. The architecture, the ambience, the lighting, the stone are meant to communicate the grandeur of God and to communicate that God is there. We sort of hear the echo of Moses in places like that where God said, don't come near for the place you're standing is holy ground. Our text in Romans is focused on the worship of God in verse 1 and 2. Worship is where the creature recognizes that he or she is a creature of God, the creator. And it's also to deny one's own divinity and recognize that there is one God and it's not us. There is one Lord and it's not us. And we rightly think of meeting together corporately this morning as a worship service. And we corporately gather to magnify his name, make him bigger, to praise him and delight him. And, and, and you might ask yourself, why are you here? Why do you put your phones away if your texting is going off? Why do you come each Sunday and prepare and drive here and minimize distractions so that you can focus in this hour and sing and listen and learn? Why are you here? Our text goes beyond the corporate worship that we experience every Sunday and takes us into our individual lives, into the life of our days throughout the week even. The word that's translated in the ESV here at the end of verse 1, which is your spiritual worship, literally service, that word spiritual is quite um, considered by many not to be the best choice of the translators. In some texts you'll read reasonable or rational. The word there is logios, logikos, which is to know and to understand and to say that it's a reasonable, it, it makes sense to worship God is the sense. Now the Jews understood that the worship of God was common sense. 
that it was a reasonable thing to do to worship him. Even the pagans who worshiped idols and gods of their own making understood that if there was a God, and it was entirely logical or reasonable to worship that God. Epictetus, who wrote in about 50 AD, he was a Stoic philosopher. He said, if I were a nightingale, I should be singing as a nightingale. If I were a swan, I would be swinging, singing as a swan. But as it is, I am a rational being. Therefore, I must be singing hymns of praise to God, he said. It completely makes sense. Logicals. The same word. It's reasonable. Even the People and the philosophers in Athens made a statue to the unknown God. So we might ask here, why is it reasonable, logical for us to worship God? Well, the appeal is made to our experience of God's compassion to us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, literally by God's compassion shown to you. He has mercy on whom he will have mercy. He has shown us compassion. He's shown us mercy in our sinfulness. The book of Romans has already demonstrated that. He saved us. He loved us. He sent his son to us who died for us, who rose again. And, and, and we deserving nothing from him, deserving judgment from him, have instead been shown the loving compassion that is entirely logical then for us to worship him. Can you think of a time when you were overwhelmed with his compassion? Perhaps it's an answer to prayer or some burden that was lifted, some soul that was saved that you were praying for, some, some peace given to your heart, some grace that, that flowed to you. So it's entirely reasonable to worship based on his compassionate heart that he gave to us. And how do we worship Individually, he tells us here to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We offer our bodies, that is ourselves, in sacrifice to God. He's, he's, he's really giving us a, a metaphor here. The Gentile was used to sacrificing to idols. The Jew was used to sacrificing on the altar to God in Jerusalem. Here, believers, Christians, are called to make a decisive dedication of themselves, our entire self, to God. Because he is so compassionate in saving us. It is entirely logical to worship him in this way, to give him, yourself, a living sacrifice. It is to say, here I am, Lord, 
How will you use me today? How might I bless some soul or some person today? Notice it's not a dead sacrifice as they would be used to. It's a living sacrifice. It's not impure, but it is a holy sacrifice. It's not a rejected sacrifice. It's entirely acceptable to God. It is pleasing to God. It's a call to give ourselves completely to God in worship based on his compassion for us. He wants a living sacrifice. You. He doesn't want something from us. He wants us. He wants you. Now, we have heard of Sunday-only Christians. Sunday-only Christians can seem quite pious on Sundays, but through the rest of the week, they are as rude and foul as any atheist Charlene and I grew up in a church where on Saturday evening you would go to the Saturday evening service so that would allow you to party and give give over to excess all evening, sleep in the next morning and not have to go to church on Sunday. That was the idea of the Saturday morning, Saturday evening service. You can feel good. You've You've checked off all the boxes. You see, I've been to church And then you go out and live like a pagan. Is that pleasing to God? Is that holy? Is that a living sacrifice? In some ways, the Pharisees were Sabbath-only people. You could do anything you wanted except on the Sabbath. You could heal six days of the week, but not on the Sabbath. And so our text is not about coming to worship God corporately on Sunday. Instead, it's about the 24-7 presentation of ourselves to God on the altar, a living sacrifice based on his compassion in saving us. It's entirely logical to, to live in a way that's pleasing to him, to live holy lives, given over to him moment by moment, to choose to behave in ways that please him. Charlene was telling me this week about when she became a new Christian. Uh, She remembers being in a ladies' circle, a prayer circle, and there was a senior lady there, and the senior lady said, Would God be pleased with me if he returned at this moment? That's a good question. It stuck in Charlene's head. It was convicting. Would God be pleased with me if he were to return at this moment? And so remember his great mercy, his compassion, that it's reasonable to worship him with our Choices and our behaviors, our entire lives. Have you heard 
Sometimes people say everything is sacred. People who say that might mean that a tree is sacred. (laughs) They tend to use, uh, see themselves as spiritual people, but they're very selective in what they see as sacred, actually. Not everything by any means. Everything is not sacred. The Bible tells us we live in a creation that is under the bondage of sin. And it groans in childbirth, waiting for the full redemption of of the people of God. And the human race is under sin. And as all of our fellow Canadians are, are in the flesh. And the Bible says if you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. But you, Christian, you can please God. By keeping yourself sacred. You have responded to God's compassion for you in Jesus Christ. Repenting and believing on his name. His son who died for us. Following him. He says in Romans 8. He says you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. I have watched bees as you have. Bees are amazing, aren't they? Wherever they go, they pollinate flowers and vegetables and fruit trees. They just sort of spread life around. And we too are to do that. We we spread life around. The aroma of Christ around. And the spirit of God dwells within us. And wherever we go, we should be spreading life. We are God's fellow workers, he says. You are God's field, he says. You are God's building. He says to the Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you? He says, God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. He'll say in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So glorify God in your body, he says. Or in 2 Corinthians, he says, we are the temple of the living God. It's not that everything is sacred. It's that you, Christian, You are sacred. You are filled with his spirit. You are claimed by Christ. You are his cathedral. You are his sanctuary. And it's not cathedrals made of brick and mortar that are holy. It's cathedrals made of flesh and bone. People converted to the Lord Jesus Christ who are Offering themselves to God, holy, acceptable, pleasing to him in worship every day, 24-7. Wherever you go, you know, wherever you go at school, 
Young people, you are God's cathedral. You, you are God's cathedral in the classroom, in the hallways. Wherever you work, you are God's cathedral there. Wherever you live, you're God's cathedral. Wherever you walk and run and bike, or you are God's cathedral. You are mobile cathedrals moving amongst the people of our nation, the people of Lambton County. A living sacrifice you are to God. Should this not cause you to reflect what you choose to say, what you choose to do with your time and your energies and what you choose, wherever you choose to go, how you choose to behave, oh, it matters, it matters. Because you are holy ground. And when you fall, and when you know the temple, the cathedral that you are has been sullied or made dirty. There is forgiveness for you. When we repent and confess our sins, there is forgiveness. There is cleansing. There are new mercies every morning. We read earlier the history of Mary Magdalene who was a woman possessed by seven demons and they were cast out by Jesus. Seven is the number of uh, totality. In reference to God, the totality of deity is seven. For Mary Magdalene, it really underlines the totality of her sinfulness, how her sin was completely consuming her. Jesus said, your sins are many. And before respectable people who knew her as a vile sinner, she comes to Jesus and she comes boldly and unashamedly. She comes bravely because she knows there's hope in Jesus. Her only salvation can be found in Jesus. And so she boldly goes in where she's not welcome by the Pharisee. And there she weeps and her tears fall on the feet of Christ and she wipes off his feet with, with her hair, her long hair. And she takes expensive ointment and perfume and, and puts it on his feet. And this is an act of repentance that was going on because her long hair 
and the ointment, her perfumes, were those things that she would use in her trade. They were meant to beautify herself, to make herself more appealing and enter further and further into her life of sin. And yet it's those very things now, instead of using them for wickedness, she uses them as an offering and a form of repentance. Her hair and her perfume and her tears. And Jesus responds and he says, it declares that she is forgiven. And she is face to face with his compassion. And she is set free. Of course, in that narrative, there is another sinner there. The Pharisee. His sins were not as public as hers. He harbored them in his heart. In his mind, his pride, his contempt for other people and sinners and his justification of himself. Outwardly he might appear righteous, but inwardly he was dead. And he speaks. And he does not seek forgiveness for his sins. He doesn't ask Christ of any, anything of Christ. Really, I'm not like that woman. Not as bad as her. And it's the woman who finds forgiveness. And the Pharisee, with such deep sin in his heart, seeks no forgiveness, no is he granted any. And so who will you be like? It takes the Holy Spirit to lift the blindness from our eyes and help us to see the, the darkness of our own hearts and our own sinfulness and recognizing we're no different than other people. Outward and inward, as sinners, we must repent and receive his forgiveness. And he has such compassion for those who come and ask. Such mercies. And he has salvation. As he tells this woman, her faith has saved her. Salvation from Jesus for those who come to him. We have opportunity this morning because of our text here to offer everything to God, to withhold nothing. This woman, Mary Magdalene, she already knew what we must know. She already did what we must do. We offer our whole selves as 
a living sacrifice. It's logical, it's reasonable to do so because of who he is, his compassion given to us in Christ. Let's bow for a moment. And I'm going to give you an opportunity, perhaps there's some here this morning who need to make something right with God, who need forgiveness, who perhaps just need to to say that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, to receive his compassion, his salvation. Or perhaps it's someone who who needs to rededicate their temple uh, to re-sanctify and rededicate that which belongs to God, their very selves. I'm going to ask if let's, we bow our heads that if that's you, you know the scripture says to offer your bodies and sometimes it's moving your body. It's just an act of will that that can bless. So I'm going to ask you, if that's you this morning, that just need to say something to God, need to offer him something of yourself, that you just come forward and move your body and come forward and just in front here and I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Come ahead now if that's you. Perhaps you need to rededicate yourself. Perhaps You just need uh, to remember that he's compassionate and share with him some burden that you have. Anyone? Just come forward if that's you this morning. Anyone? Sometimes it helps just to physically take that act. Uh, As a mobile cathedral in the midst of a fallen world and a fallen generation, Anyone this morning? Heavenly Father, hear the cries of our heart. Heavenly Father, as as some people come forward now, You know what's on their heart and mind and what they're seeking from you this morning, what they're saying to you this morning. Anyone else just come ahead? Heavenly Father, you've done so much for us and oh we desire you to do things through us and so hear the cry of these folks who come forward anoint them with your spirit remind them of your compassion your forgiveness as they seek to give themselves an offering to you 
as they seek to, to be holy and pleasing. We pray they would have joy today, peace in every way. That wherever they go, even this week, uh, they might have that sense of your presence and being amongst people that come across their path, that they might bless them with some word or some deed, that they might encourage, that they might make a difference in lives around them. We pray, Father, that you would take our lives, consecrate them, and we give them to you. And we thank you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.